Chapter Three of Agnes Sorrel by G. P. R. James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three. Passing through a small and narrow hall, Jacques Coeur and his companion ascended a flight of six or seven steps, and then entered by a door larger than that which communicated with the garden, a vestibule of very splendid proportions it must be remembered that the arts were at that time just at the period of their second birth in europe the famous fifteenth century had just begun and a true taste for the beautiful in everything except architecture was confined to the breasts of a few cimabue giotto hubert van eyck and john of bruges had already appeared but the days of leonardo of raphael of michelangelo of giorgione of Correggio were still to come. Nevertheless, the taste for both painting and sculpture was rapidly extending in all countries, and especially in France, which, though it never produced a great man in either branch of art, had always an admiration of that which is fine when produced by others. It was with astonishment and delight, then, that Jean Charost, who had never in his life before seen anything that deserved the name of a painting, except a fresco here and there and the miniature illuminations of missals and psalm-books beheld the vestibule surrounded on every side with pictures which appeared to him perfection itself and which probably would have even presented to our eyes many points of excellence unattained or unattainable by our own contemporaries though the apartment was well lighted he had no time to examine the treasures it contained for jacques coeur more accustomed to such scenes himself and with his mind fully occupied by other thoughts hurried straight across to a wide two-winged staircase of black oak at the further end of the vestibule and ascended the steps at a rapid rate the young man followed through a long corridor plainly furnished till his guide stopped and knocked at a door on the right-hand side a voice from within exclaimed come in and when jacques coeur opened the door jean charost found himself at the entrance of a room and in the presence of a person requiring some description the little hall as it was called was a large vaulted chamber about forty feet in length and probably twenty-six or twenty-eight in width it was entirely lined with dark-coloured wood and the pointed arch of the roof really or apparently supported by highly ornamented woodwork was of the same material all along the walls however upheld by rings depending from long arms of silver were wide sheets of tapestry of an ancient date but full of still brilliant colours and projecting from between these at about six feet from the ground were a number of other silver brackets supporting sconces of the same metal large straight-backed benches were arranged along the walls touching the tapestry but there was only one table in the room on which stood a large candelabra of two lights each supporting a wax taper or candle not much inferior in size to those set upon the altar by roman catholics and by those who repudiate the name but follow the practices of rome the mongrel breed who have not the courage to confess themselves converted yet have turned tail upon their former faith and the faith of their ancestors at this table was seated with paper and pen and ink before him not unemployed even at that moment a man of the middle age of a very striking and interesting appearance 
as none of the sconces were lighted and the candelabra before him afforded the only light which the room received he sat in the midst of a bright spot surrounded almost by darkness and though heaven knows no saint looking like a picture of a saint in glory his face and figure might well have afforded a subject for the pencil for not only was he handsome in feature and in form but there was an indescribable charm of expression about his countenance and a marvellous grace in his person which characterised both even when in profound repose we are too apt to confine the idea of grace to action witness a sleeping child witness the venus de medici witness the sappho of danica at all other times it is evanescent shifting and changing like the streamers of the aurora borealis but in calm stillness thought can dwell upon it the mind can take it in read it and ponder upon its innate meaning as upon the page of some ever-living book and not upon the mere hasty words spoken by some passing stranger he was writing busily and had apparently uttered the words come in without ever looking up but the moment after jacques coeur and his young companion had entered the prince for he could be nothing else but a prince let republicans say what they will lifted his speaking eyes and looked forward oh my friend he said seeing the great merchant come hither i have been anxiously waiting for you jacques coeur advanced to within a few paces while the other still kept his seat and jean charost followed a step or two behind well what news do you bring me asked the prince lowering his tone a little good i hope come say you have changed your resolution why should a merchant's resolutions be made of sterner stuff than a woman's or the moon's or man's or any other of the light things that inhabit this earth or whirl around it faith my good friend the most beneficent of things are always changing if the sun himself stuck obstinately to one point we should be scorched by summer heat and blinded by too much light but come come to speak seriously this is absolutely needful to me you are a friend a good friend a well-wisher to your country and myself say you have changed your mind all this time he had continued seated while jacques coeur without losing any of that dignity of carriage which distinguished him stood near with his velvet cap in his hand and with an air of respect and deference i have told your highness he replied bowing his head reverently that i cannot do it that it is impossible the other started up from the table with some impetuosity impossible he exclaimed what would you have me believe that you reputed the most wealthy merchant of all these realms cannot yourself or among your friends raise the small sum i require in a moment of great need no no say rather that your love for louis of orleans has grown cold or that you doubt his power of repaying you that you think fortune is against him that you believe there is a destiny that domineers over his but say not that it is impossible my lord duke i repeat replied jacques coeur in a tone which had a touch of sorrow in it i repeat that it is impossible not that my affection for your service has grown cold not that i believe the destiny of any one of these realms can domineer over that of the brother of my king not that i have not the money or could not obtain it in paris in any hour 
nay more i will own i have it as by your somewhat unkind words mighty prince you drive me to tell you how it is impossible i would have fain kept my reasons in respectful silence but perhaps after all those reasons may be better to you than my gold odds life but not so substantial replied the duke of orleans with a smile seating himself again and adding speak on speak on for if we cannot have one good thing it is well to have another and i know your reasons are always excellent maitre jacques suppose my lord replied jacques coeur that this wealth of mine is bound up in iron chests with locks of double proof and i have lost the key heavens queen send for a blacksmith and dash the chests to pieces said the duke of orleans with a laugh such perhaps is the way his highness of burgundy would deal with them replied jacques coeur but you sir think differently i believe but let me explain to you that the chests these iron chests are conscience the locks faith and loyalty the only key that can open them conviction but to leave all allegories my lord duke i tell your highness frankly that did you ask this sum for your own private need my love and affection to your person would bid me throw my fortune wide before you and say take what you will but when you tell me and i know that your object is with this same wealth of mine to levy war in this kingdom and tear the land with the strife of faction i tell you i have not the key and say it is impossible i say it is impossible for me with my convictions to let you have this money for such purposes now look you here cried the duke of orleans how these good men will judge of matters that they know not and deal with things beyond their competence here my good friend you erect yourself into a judge of my plans my purposes and their results at once testify against me and pronounce the judgment nay my good lord not so replied jacques coeur you ask me to do a thing depending on myself and many a man would call various considerations to counsel before he said yea or nay would ask himself whether it was convenient whether there was a likelihood of gain whether there was a likelihood of loss whether he affected your side or that of burgundy now so help me heaven as not one of these considerations weighs with me for a moment i have asked myself but one question is this for the good of my country is this for the service of my king your highness laughs but it is true and the answer has been no jacques coeur thou art a good and honest man replied the duke laying his hand upon the merchant's sleeve and looking in his face gravely but you drive me to give you explanations which i think as my friend and favourer you might have spared the spendthrift gives such explanations summons plausible excuses and tells a canting tale of how he came in such a strait when he goes to borrow money of a usurer but methinks such things should have no place between louis of orleans the king's only brother and his friend jacques coeur ah noble prince cried the merchant very much touched but the duke did not attend to his words and rising from his seat threw back his fine and stately head saying the explanation shall be given however i seek not one denier of this money for myself my revenues are ample more than ample for my wishes my court is a very humble one compared with that of burgundy 
but i seek this sum to enable me to avert dangers from france which i see coming up speedily like storms upon the wind i need not tell you jacques coeur my brother's unhappy state nor how he who has ever possessed and merited the love of all his subjects is with rare intervals unconscious of his kingly duties the hand of god takes from him during the greater part of life the power of wielding the sceptre which it placed within his grasp i know it well your highness replied the merchant his children are all young jacques coeur continued the duke and there are but two persons sufficiently near in blood and eminent in station to exercise the authority in the land which slips from the grasp of the monarch the duke of burgundy and the duke of orleans the one though a peer of france and prince of its blood royal holds possessions which render him in some sorts a foreigner now god forbids that i should speak ill of my noble cousin of burgundy but he is a man of mighty power and not without ambition honourable doubtless but still high-handed and grasping burgundy and flanders with many a fair estate and territory besides make up an almost kingly state and i would ask you yourself if he does not well-nigh rule in france likewise hear me out hear me out you would say that he has a right to some influence here and so he has but i would have this well-nigh not quite i pledge you my word that my sole object is to raise up such a power as to awe my good cousin from too great and too dangerous enterprises were it a question of mere right whose is the right to authority here till the king's children are of an age to act but the king's brother were it a question of policy in whom should the people rely but in him whose whole interests are identified with this monarchy were it a question of judgment who is so likely to protect befriend and direct aright the children of the king as the uncle who has fostered their youth and loved them even as his own there is not a man in all france who suspects me of wishing aught but their good i fear not the duke of burgundy so much as to seek to banish him from all power and authority in the realm but i only desire that his authority should have a counterpoise in order that his power may never become dangerous and now tell me jacques coeur whether my objects are such as you can honestly refuse to aid remembering that i have used every effort in a peaceful way to induce my cousin of burgundy to content himself with a lawful and harmless share of influence my lord i stand rebuked replied jacques coeur but if your highness would permit me i would humbly suggest that efforts might strike others to bring about the happy object you propose which may have escaped your attention name them name them cried the duke of orleans somewhat warmly by heaven's queen i think i have adopted all that could be devised by mortal man name them my good friend he added in a milder tone nay royal sir replied jacques coeur it is not for one so humble as myself to suggest any remedies in such a serious case but i doubt not your relatives the dukes of alencon and berry and the good king of sicily so near and dear to you might in their wisdom aid you with advice which would hold your honour secure promote the pacification of the realm and attain the great object that you have in view the duke of orleans made no reply but walked once or twice up and down the hall with his arms folded on his chest apparently in deep thought 
At length, however, he stopped before Jacques Coeur, and laid his fingers on his breast, saying in a grave and inquiring tone, "'What would men think of me, my friend, if Louis of Orléans, in a private quarrel with John of Burgundy, were to call in the soft counsels of Alençon, of Berry, and Anjou? Would not men say that he was afraid?' The slightest possible smile quivered for an instant on the lips of Jacques Coeur, but he replied gravely and respectfully. First, I would remark, Your Highness, that this is not a private quarrel, as I understand it, but a cause solely affecting the good of the realm. The Duke of Orléans smiled also, with a gay, conscious, half-detected smile, but Jacques Coeur proceeded uninterrupted, saying, Secondly, I should boldly answer that men would dare say nothing. The prince who boldly bearded Henry the Fourth of Lancaster on his usurped throne, to do battle hand to hand, in the hour of his utmost triumph and success, could never be supposed afraid of any mortal man. Believe me, my lord, the thought of fear has never been, and never can be, joined with the name of Louis of Orléans. Ah, Jacques Coeur, Jacques Coeur, replied the prince, laughing, art thou a flatterer too? "'If so, an honest one,' answered the merchant. "'And, without daring to dictate terms to your highness, "'let me add that, should you, thinking better of this case, "'employ the counsels of the noble princes I have mentioned, "'and their efforts prove unsuccessful, "'then, convinced that the last means for peace have been tried and failed, "'I shall find my duty and my wishes reconciled, "'and the last lever I have, should i beg my bread in the streets as a common mendicant will be freely offered in your just cause there was a warmth a truth a sincerity in the great merchant's words that seemed to touch his noble auditor deeply the duke threw himself into his seat again and covered his eyes for a moment or two then taking jacques coeur's hand he pressed it warmly saying thanks my friend thanks i have urged you somewhat hardly perhaps but i know you wish me well i believe your advice is good pride vanity whatever it is shall be sacrificed i will send for my noble cousins consult with them and if the bloody and disastrous arbitrement of war can be avoided it shall be so many may bless the man who stayed it and although in their ignorance they may not add the name of jacques coeur to their prayers there is a being who has seen you step between princes and their wrath and who himself has said blessed are the peacemakers the duke then leaned his head upon his hand and fell into thought again all this time while a somewhat long and interesting conversation had been taking place in his presence jean charost had been standing a few steps behind jacques coeur without moving a limb and in truth so deeply attentive to all that was passing that he hardly ventured to draw a breath the whole scene was a lesson to him however a lesson never forgot he saw the condescension and kindness the familiar friendship which the brother of the king of france displayed toward the simple merchant and he saw also that no familiarity induced jacques coeur for one moment to forget respect or to abate one tittle of the reverence due to the duke's station he saw that it was possible to be bold and firm even with a royal personage and yet to give him no cause of offence if he were in heart as noble as in name 
both the principal personages in the room however in the mighty interests involved in their discourse seemed to have forgotten his presence altogether indeed one of them probably had hardly even perceived him but at length the duke waking up as it were from the thoughts which had absorbed him with his resolution taken and his course laid out raised his eyes toward jacques coeur as if intending to continue the conversation with some further announcement of his purposes as he did so he seemed suddenly to perceive the figure of jean charost standing in the half-light behind and he exclaimed quickly and eagerly ha who is that who is that young man whence came he what wants he jacques coeur started too for he had totally forgotten the fact of his having brought jean charost there for an instant he looked confused and agitated but then recovered himself and replied this is the young gentleman whom i commended to your highness's service in the importance of the question you first put to me i totally forgot to present him to you the duke gazed in the face of jean charost as he advanced a step or two into the light seeming to question his countenance closely and for a moment there was a slight look of annoyance and anxiety in his aspect which did not escape the eyes of jacques coeur sir i have committed a great fault he said but it might have been greater for although this young gentleman has heard all that we have said i will answer for his faith his honesty and his discretion with my life ere the words were uttered however the duke of orleans had recovered himself entirely and looking up frankly in jacques coeur's face he answered as far as i can recollect our conversation my good friend it contained not one word which either you or i should fear should have blazoned to the whole realm of france come hither young gentleman are you willing to serve me if not willing before sir answered jean charost what i have heard to-night would make me willing to shed the last drop of my blood for your highness the duke smiled upon him kindly good he said good you are of noble race my friend tells me on all sides answered jean charost of the nobility of the sword well then said the duke we will soon find an office for you let me think for a moment but ere the words had left his lips there was a sharp rap at the door and without waiting for permission a man dressed as a superior servant hurried in followed by an elderly woman in an extravagantly high enin a headdress of the times both bearing eagerness and alarm on their countenance i'm sorry to tell your highness cried the man but the duke stopped him exclaiming hush with a look of anxiety and alarm and then advanced a step or two towards the newcomers with whom he spoke for a few moments in an eager whisper he then took several rapid strides towards the door but paused ere he reached it and looking back almost without stopping exclaimed to-morrow my young friend be with me to-morrow by nine i will send for you in the evening maitre jacques i trust then to have news for you excuse me now something has happened End of chapter three